Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello. Hey, man. Hey. <laughs> We're in your room again. We are. We're back in my room. New place. Every time. It's very exciting. Every listener loves to hear about the place we are when we're recording. I get a lot of letters and emails, notes and uh, voice messages and Bebo's. All about that. They love starting episodes that way. So, uh, listener, Danny and I have got a little mini review to kick things off. We were catching up on some of the hottest releases of the last couple of years recently. And uh, we stumbled on the M. Night Shyamalan film Split. A return to form. Hailed as a return to form after his breaking his uh, sort of nice linear progression down to like terrible and then sort of collapsing through the floor of like (laughs) awfulness and just somehow topping himself with even worse received films every single year. Um, uh, With a film that was like relatively well received, I think. Like people quite liked it. There was, you know, it got, got good reviews. And has since spawned a sequel, uh, which is some kind of uh, cross uh, franchise universe, the Shyamalanaverse. Shyamalanaverse is opening up um, as he's doing a crossover between Split and uh, Unbreakable, his movie from like 2001 or whatever it is. Uh, So yeah, so we decided to watch it and check it out. Um, McAvoy, James McAvoy is the star in it. He plays a uh, guy who has dissociative identity disorder. Um, he has 23 different personalities. One of these personalities kidnaps three young girls and keeps them locked in his basement. And it's a sort of a horror film, is it? No, not yeah. really. I don't know. What is it like? A kind of psychological psychodrama thing? Yeah, yeah. Hard to categorize. Uh, and it was kind of silly, wasn't it? Well, he has 23 personalities, of which we really see nine of them, which is bullshit. Yeah, is it even that? Is it as much as that? I feel like it's only about like five. Uh, yeah, there's very few. Anyway, I would say the main complaint is that James McAvoy does not convince as any of these personalities. No, no, no. He is quite terrible in it. I think. On like, one hand, he's sort of matching the campy tone. But on the other hand, he is just like, it's just so hammy. So hammy, yeah, yeah. I feel like once you kind of flip the switch with McAvoy, once you kind of recognize that he's not really acting well, it's just he's just hamming it up in a kind of school drama type way. You can't go back, you know? No. Uh, and he might be, I think like he's constantly, his reach is outseeding his grasp in his roles. Just stick to like those cheeky chappy roles that you played, you know, before. Maybe you're too old for them now. Maybe you've outgrown the only role you could, you know, convincingly do. But yeah, in this movie, I mean, he does play them all sort of equally badly. So there's a certain consistency. But yeah, whether he's a nine-year-old boy or a kind of like matriarchal... Patricia. Uh, uh, woman. Oh, she talks like that, doesn't she? She's very much like that. Yes. Uh, this is James McAvoy's performance. Very camp. Always all like smirking. 
yeah chewing over like every line to the maximum now, doing like yes very exaggerated reactions to things um and a lot of the movie it's a bit like uh Shyamalan watched psycho and was like fuck that i'm gonna i'm gonna blow this movie out of the water with only two personalities that's bullshit i'm gonna at least write down 23 but you know <laughs> only maybe do five of them um the thing that the my main disappointment with it is that in the trailer for the movie there's this reference to how he's going to turn into some kind of final form there's like an extreme evil form called the beast that he's going to turn into and that does happen in the movie but i thought they were going to go all out i thought he was going to like sprout extra limbs or like grow hair all over his body or like turn it turn into a monster basically yeah i think maybe that's it it's like it's stupid but it's not stupid enough it's not stupid enough yeah like even his performances as hammy as it is it's like you could have done like a different accent for each person or like he's he could do really, a couple of fucking accents he could really delineate them a bit more than he did like yeah. if you're gonna ham it up you know go 200 percent on it i think that he should have definitely veered into borderline racist caricatures with a couple should have been like a chinese guy a chinese been guy like, a... like an irish guy because like instead of having different performances he, his personalities just have different interests yeah beyond the kind of prim english woman and the nine-year-old boy he's just got the same kind of new york accent and it's like there's one who's into history and there's one who's into fashion and stuff and it's a bit like you're just seeing their dating profile rather than like a completely different personality uh, but it should have been just a string of different ages and races it should have been like sensate that netflix show but all played by the same person you know all played by one brilliant actor one brilliant actor and he's like in this sequence i'm a kenyan uh you know bus driver and in this scene i'm like a hong kong businesswoman who does like kickboxing at night and in this scene i'm a spanish gay actor and stuff like he should have been asked to do all of that yeah and if he can't do it and if you can't fucking do it get out get out there's a lot of actors who want this role, James. Like it's a big role. It's a, it's a real showcase performance. So if you can't fucking hack it, piss off. Yeah. That's what Shyamalan should have said to him. Who do you think would have been better? Like, who's the sort of human chameleon who can do it all? Gary Oldman? Gary Oldman. <laughs> You're right. He's the chameleon, right? He's, he's, he's often... played a, He played a, a short person in uh, Tiptoes. Yeah. Very, very convincingly. He, well, in um, A Christmas Carol, he played Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim. There you go. <laughs> how can you? How can anybody bring? I mean, those, it was mocap, but those even two, so, those two performances together. He's played Russian, English, basically American. all the Eastern Bloc, pretty much. He's played. Yeah, he can do every accent. Yeah, it should have been Oldman. Yeah. It definitely should have been Gary Oldman. That was a that was a, a trick missed. Sad, really. Sad. Anyway, Sam, what's this uh, podcast about? Good question, Danny. Just came to me that question. Here's the explanation. This is a podcast all about a group of heroic high school patriots. Who take up arms after a Soviet invasion of the USA. Brothers Jed and Matt Eckert, along with their friends Robert, Danny Moran, Daryl, Aardvark, and Sam Foster, flee into the wilderness after their town is occupied by commie soldiers. They form a guerrilla fighting force named the Wolverines after their school mascot, and prove a thorn in the side of the evil Ruskies. Can they prevent the land of the free being turned into the home of the slave? That's a question I might be answering if this was a adaptation of the 1984 film Red Dawn. Instead, it's just a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, a young champion of freedom who gave up his life fighting for the greatest nation on earth. You know the nation I'm talking about, America. Yeah. Danny Moran. Thank you. That is accurate. On this week's film chat, we review Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagino's adaptation of the beloved novel by Andre Ackerman about a love affair between two men in the 80s. After seeing the film, do we think the director is a Guadagenius? Or were we more like Luco? What are you thinking with this film? 
Tune in to find out. We also tackle Armando Nucci's latest film, The Death of Stalin, an ensemble farce that minds laughs out the most comedically fertile of historical events, The Purges. Love The Purges. Hilarious. Hilarious. Well, purging can also refer to, you know, a bowel thing, doesn't it? That's pretty funny. It's, it's weird the movie didn't mind that. That's an, odd, that's an obvious that's pun. That's an obvious, obvious vein of comedy there. Gotta go for it. And we also cast a critical eye on Thor Ragnarok, a film which, unlike the previous 16 grim, oppressively serious, Michael Haneke-inflected entries into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, dares to be fun, colourful, and irreverent, all of which should give me just enough time to pitch my idea for a comedy based on horrific real events called A Fish Called Rwanda, in which Michael Palin Oof. plays an inept member of the Hutu government who tries to transport his prized goldfish across the country while uh, hundreds of thousands of people are <laughs> murdered in the streets. It okay. sounds dark, but there's a lot of fart gags in there. Yeah, there's some cutting political satire that makes it all worthwhile. If Anucci can do it, why can't I? Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. I'm as good as him, if not better. Got well, more hair. That's true. <laughs> that's one way. <laughs> <laughs> Younger. And in comedy and film writing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Woody Allen, who has appeared many times on our on our podcast, you might say that our reputations are tied to his. I wouldn't say that myself. Uh, but anyway, his movie Wonder Wheel is coming out. Do you know when that is? When it's coming out? It's been coming out in December. He just played at the New York Film Festival. Apparently, it's a free star classic. <laughs> <laughs> Another entry in his just I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. Canon of just films that he, they just come out. And obviously, he has another one in the works because that's, you know, how he does things. He just does, absolutely does not stop making them. The Wonder Wheel does not stop turning. It is apparently going to be called A Rainy Day in New York. That's what it was reported as on IndieWire. And on page six, it says that it's untitled. So maybe that's just the working title or something like that because it sounds bland as fuck. But, (laughs) you know, that would go with his general attitude towards filmmaking. Anyway, it has already attracted a bit of attention because as page six reports... Apparently, it has an adult teen sex scene. Now, oh, this, Woody. it might not be the ideal time. I mean, maybe no time is the ideal time to include such a scene in your film. But particularly not now, as uh, obviously the Harvey Weinstein scandal has been brewing or has exploded. It's beyond brewing. It's balled over. And, and of course, his own history. And of course, his own <laughs> history. Exactly. So like people are talking about his own past uh, even more both his accusations of uh, child molestation and it also like uh, just the movies like Manhattan, which feature um, extremely May, December, sort of borderline January, December relationships. Apparently this is uh, what page six says in scenes just filmed a character played by Rebecca Hall accuses 44 year old actor Jude Law's character of having sex with a 15 year old concubine in the scene. The so-called concubine played by Elle Fanning, who is 19 in real life, acknowledges her relationship with Law's much older character, but then protests that she is 21 years old. After a discussion about his infidelity, Fanning's character then asks Law, were all these women for pleasure or were you researching a project? Because um, if it was a project, I'm totally cool with it. That would be fine. That would make it all okay, <laughs> and don't worry about it. And there's nothing wrong with this anyway. Um, oh, Wang. So, I mean, it's just the funny thing about Woody Allen, right, is that like, when, whenever he's asked about this kind of thing, 
um, he always sort of demurs and he sort of protests that he's not really like, doesn't have his finger on the pulse. He's not really paying attention to anything. All of his movies seem like films made by somebody who does, doesn't stepped outside of his house in like, you know, 20 years. And uh, so it kind of seems fitting in a way that he would include this like deeply problematic element in his script with like no, just no care whatsoever for what's going on. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't give a shit, right? So He doesn't give a shit. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, I wonder if this will actually be uh, like make it to the screen or if stories like this will be enough to have things changed up. And maybe it's misreported. I mean, you never know. But um, Maybe it'll be his best film ever. <laughs> maybe it'll be his best film ever. You never know. It says in the story that he last week drew criticism for his comments on the Harvey Weinstein scandal. He said, It was tragic for the poor women that were involved and sad for Harvey that his life is so messed up. But warned against starting a witch hunt atmosphere in Hollywood where every guy... In an office who winks at a woman is suddenly having to call a lawyer to defend himself. Oh, stop being such an old... <laughs> Imagine, it'd be awful. Can't even wink, can't smile, can't, can't grope, can't do anything. Just calling a lawyer immediately. I didn't realise harass. I thought there was two words. <laughs> I was just saying that harass looked nice. Um... Uh, the, the best part about this is that Alan... It says, Alan later released a statement saying of his strange comment when i said i felt sad for harvey weinstein i thought it was clear the meaning was because he is a sad sick man (laughs) (laughs) no no he is sad i didn't didn't say that i'm not he is sad Uh, oh man incredible absolutely incredible stuff it's like he's trying to deflect from louis ck's oncoming disaster of his movie also about this like sort of topic yeah every uh big uh, actor or producer in hollywood who's been in the receiving end of a sex scandal will subsequently be making a film where they depict the very thing that they have been accused of uh as some kind of ironic comment on it just to send us all into like paroxysms of like <laughs> a, you know outrage and amazement can't wait Incredible. for like harvey to set up miramax 2 and then make a film like called you know the wronged producer <laughs> <laughs> why you owe me an apology yeah <laughs> harvey weinstein yeah yeah i mean there's something very funny about like he issued this terrible statement and he's like okay a bit of a PR disaster there okay I'll just announce my new movie about a young <laughs> uh, illegally young woman having an affair with an older man yeah a lot of people think that um, the 17 year old character in Manhattan was a bit too young but how about 15 let's yeah. go with that it's fine because the actress is 19 the so actress is 19 so it's fine so it makes it absolutely fine so you can enjoy the titillation of having sex with an underage woman but it's but okay you know exactly yeah it's Eesh. just a bit of like you know cosplaying oh what are you old old man you weird old man Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the best actors of his generation, Marky Mark. He's got, Mark, a, he's got a dark Wahlberg. past as well. He's got a dark past. He had a troubled youth and... Uh, I don't know if that's troubled or he's just like he was just a horrible I teenager. He blinded some guy or something. Yeah, he stole cars and was in juvie and was just a bit of a tearaway. But he has since uh, found God and he's quite a devout Catholic. 
And recently, he was chatting with the Chicago Tribune ahead of an event with Cardinal Blaise Supic, some sort of Catholic bigwig in the church, because Mark Wahlberg is a big uh, Catholic, Catholic, Catholic celebrity. So I guess he maybe brings his fame to Catholicist. He's the Tom Cruise of uh, the Catholic Church. Maybe. And during this interview, he jokingly told the Tribune, I just always hope that God is a movie fan and also forgive him because I've made some poor choices in my career. Oh, wait a second. He should have said, hey, man, I just hope that God is a movie fan and also forgive him because I've made some poor choices in my past, man. Just yeah. said, add the word man to every sentence. That's what you do, Marky Mark. And when pressed about the films he most regrets, he says, Boogie Nights is up there at the top of the list. Which is weird because that is by far and away his, his best, best film. Ever film. And it's also it's not particularly sinful. I mean, it's got explicit sex, but it's very humanist film. You know, he like obviously is in love with the characters and the kind of point in the movie is they are this little nuclear family. Yeah, and he fucking produced Entourage, which is like a cesspit of like, like yeah. homophobic, misogynistic, bigoted. But like in, in, in Entourage, it's all of these like uh, egotistical guys who are dripping with money. And that probably is resonant in the Catholic Church. They probably understand that, whereas they probably have less time for like pornography. Yeah. And that, although Biggie Nights doesn't exactly give a rose-tinted view of the pornographic industry, it doesn't you know wholeheartedly condemn it either. So that's true, but it's just a bit odd. I mean, he's made like R-rated comedies and films where he like murders people and. Yeah, I mean Ted Two and Ted aren't they rather sinful films? I haven't seen them, but. You know, it doesn't like given the general tenor of the humor, it probably has like a teddy bear jerking off and all that kind of shit. This is quite a snobbish thing to this say. Probably a bit where he gets like t- like teddy bear cum on him or something. <laughs> I'm sure that happens. Like, it's bound to happen. It's because I really like Mark Wahlberg. As a, he's like a sort of comedy character actor who's for some reason pursued a career as an action star. Yeah, yeah. And he really should thing... only be in things like I Heart Huckabee. Yeah, his thing is just being like super earnest all the time, in a way, and he's very good at playing like. Uh, dim people I think yeah but now I'm like, just thinking like maybe that's just him because like if he thinks Buganites is like such a sort of idiot's idea of like the quality of his own films yeah no completely. offense Marky Mark but you seem like a fucking idiot <laughs> you seem like a bit of a bit of I a can't believe dummy. someone who had a rap career as Marky Mark uh, would be dumb it yeah it's incredible with that great song Good Vibrations to me the best song called Good Vibrations was by Marky Mark <laughs> <laughs> he's good in uh, The Departed and he's playing The Departed The Departed and he's not playing the, sh- the the sharpest knife in the drawer in that one. So I guess with the departed, the Catholic guilt is already built into the film, so he doesn't have to apologize for it. Yeah, that's right. Maybe he's just going by how guilty the directors are. Yeah, Scorsese is a you know big guilt-driven Catholic. Guilt-driven so. Catholic. Uh, who directed Ted? Did McFarlane? Seth McFarlane. Oh, very guilty Catholic. Very guilty very man. Very guilty man. Very guilty. Paul Thomas Anderson. Very comfortable in his own skin. No, no guilt at all. Knows what he's up to. Maybe he, maybe he regrets it because he just doesn't like... He's just resentful of PTA for not casting him in his uh, subsequent movies. They had a bad working relationship. I think he was probably angry because Paul Thomas Anderson made his dick too small in the final shot. Yeah, He's, He I probably spent that. hours arguing for a bigger... Hey, dick. man. Hey, man. We've been talking about the big dick the entire movie. Can you give me this dick? You give me this tiny dick. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. I need a proper dick, man. It's smaller than my actual dick. It's the I'm tucking my dick to put this dick on. You got to see your my dick smaller to fit it in the frame. Come on, man. Always said, that's and that's probably how that went down. A little riff for you there, a little skit <laughs> off the cuff. Kind of the kind of humor for which we're famous. Brilliant, brilliant. 
Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. So... Coming by your name, this arrived with a huge amount of buzz. It was a big hit at Sundance, but even though that was several months ago, it just the buzz is built and built. And we saw this at London Film Festival where it was just got a bit more buzz and now it's out in cinemas. <laughs> and so the plot is it's set in the eighties in a sort of unspecified part of northern Italy where Michael Stilbo plays a professor who researches sort of Renaissance arts and antiquities, and his son called Elio, who's seventeen, spends every summer there in Italy and every year the dad invites a grad student from America to help him with his research. The grad student, the year in which the film is set, is played by Army Hammer as Oliver, who's this hulky, absurdly handsome, sexy, artistic guy who knows about art. Yeah, he's basically one of the Greek statues that they're studying, <laughs> but like come to life. This Adonis turns up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's this uh, sort of coming-of-age love story about these two people... Uh, it's a hard movie to categorize because it sort of subverts your expectations of this kind of genre and it's all about their relationship and the way it kind of shifts over time and it's all about them sort of sussing each other out over this long summer and here is a clip of the two of them at the beginning of the movie where they're a little hostile to each other while they're they're still they're still still working they're, they're still out. calling each other by their own names they're still calling themselves <laughs> by what their names are seems to like you a lot more beautiful than she was last year. I saw her naked on a night swim once. Great body. Trying to get me to like her? What would be the harm in that? Not no harm. I just typically like to go those things on my own, if you don't mind. Yeah, so it was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was really good. It was good, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was really good. I really liked it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like a... Um... Going for a bit of a this morning <laughs> It's kind of like a slow bone of a movie, I would say, in that it's just like very subtly gets under your skin and it's kind of stayed with me. And I wasn't like blown away by it when I saw it, but like it's kind of just the more I think about it, the more I like it. And yeah. it's one that I've kind of mulled over a lot. It's kind of, I think, the, what it turns out to be. Maybe it's like reductive to describe it too much because so, because part of what's enchanting about it is working out what kind of film it is. But yeah. it, like it felt by the end, it felt like it was a kind of romantic fantasy, and they they shot the movie where the director grew up. I, I keep trying to pronounce his name. I asked Luca my, Guadagino. Yeah, I asked uh, my brother who speaks Italian how to pronounce this guy's name. He said something like Guadagnino. Guadagnino. Uh, anyway, so he grew up in this part of Italy uh, called Crema, which is extremely beautiful. Um, and it's set, you know, in the 80s. I don't know how old Luca is, but while I spin this sentence out, I'll be looking. He's 46 years old. So, the, yeah, so the movie is set around uh, when, you know, he's approximately the age of the Timothy Chalamet character and, you know, was growing up in exactly this place. So it's obviously this kind of nostalgic trip into the past for him. And it has the feeling of a memory, and it's like a good memory. Yeah, and it's, it's an endless summer. It's an endless summer. It's one of the it's one of the most disarmingly sincere films I've ever seen. There's no kind of irony to it whatsoever. It's just very plainly presented. There's not a lot of like you know subtext to work out or anything like that. It's basically about people being super nice to each other 
And in the end, that becomes extremely refreshing. And I think there's something potentially a bit overbearing about the insistence on everything being incredibly beautiful, basically. Beautiful people, beautiful weather, beautiful food. You sort of get the feeling... Well, I was reading this um, interview in Little White Lies with Armie Hammer and Timothy Chalamet, and they were talking about the process of making the movie. And Armie Hammer was saying that he got the impression that Luca wanted to, like, fuck the food and, like, fuck everything or something. He said (laughs) something like that. Um, very sensual very sensual but like that that is what the movie is like it's it's sort of you get the impression that you're supposed to not just want to fuck every single actor in the film but also like the food the furniture the landscape itself the trees the, the birds, tree the general the feeling of being there everything should you know be fucked um <laughs> epic should and must should be, fucked. be fucked uh and yeah it has i think it's kind of dreamy without being like dreamlike if you know what i mean yeah it's, it, it's a good description yeah and I, I found it a very refreshing experience to watch and like in the moment when you're watching it because you don't sit down it's not like advertisers like come to this movie for an endless romantic fantasy that you will never want to wake up from but in the moment there's there's constantly interesting psychological things to work out they all feel like very rounded interesting characters and the process of these two men kind of gradually like sussing each other out as you said and uh sort of settling into romance is very patiently and convincingly done and yeah. beautifully acted absolutely i think it's also something interesting about same-sex romantic stories is that it removes the baggage of like entrenched gender roles which is just kind of refreshing just because it's a mainstream gay story yeah um because it's even like i don't know the idea that like the man is either more dominant or it's the opposite of that and it's like that's the two-way heterosexual relationships are sort of played out well especially because there's an age gap here because he's like 30 and uh well yeah army hammer is about 30 and timothy chalamet is like 19 or something like that but he looks like he could be even younger he looks like he'd be about 16 yeah and it's but i think there's something very clever about kind of similar to carol where you're like you know you assume one of them is like more predatory than the other one is a bit more savvy but then like it keeps on subverting like which one changes yeah constantly in a way that's like very it's a very kind of playful movie yeah i mean that goes a long way to because if you describe what happened on like a scene by scene level it's like well they drive to a nice place and then they They have a little conversation (laughs) have a little bit of coffee yeah yeah (laughs) it's very like uh dry if you just like describe the plot but like this sort of as you say the um the way those characters sort of interact is like, yeah, the, the constant trying to suss out what's going on as they're trying to suss out each other. Yeah. It's got this good sort of synergy between the audience and the characters that and makes that, it very engrossing. I also feel like the audience is kind of trying to suss out them because... Yeah, that's my point. Oh, it's right, like yeah, you're, yeah. you're like uh, aligned with the characters' headspaces in a way. Because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, um, I think like that's kind of enhanced by the fact that Army Hammer, while an established actor has not done that many kind of prominent roles that called on him to do more than just be handsome, basically. Yeah. And Timothy Chalamet is a newcomer who does all sorts of things in the movie that are, like, surprising. He speaks about three different languages. Plays um, piano. Plays, plays piano, plays guitar. He's got he's a man of many talents. And so you, it's easy to put yourself in the shoes of Army Hammer and be a bit, like, enchanted by what they're up to. And, yeah, it's just... I, I I can imagine having seen the movie and being cynical about it and being like it's just like a Peroni ad. Everyone's too, <laughs> everyone's too sexy and it's just like I don't give a shit about their like archaeological findings or their sort of sin about like having lovely breakfast and espresso or whatever. But I I was enchanted by it. I, I was definitely won over. It's just a very like kind and sort of good natured movie without feeling cynical. And it and it, 
I think maybe yeah, the, the, the achievement of it is that it doesn't feel like an advert, even though it looks like it should do that. Yeah, know? yeah. I feel like the empathy, you know, exactly. obvious so is, much is infectious. Human, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's so much human feeling behind it that, yeah, it's hard not to be won over by it. Yeah, I would heartily recommend it. Yeah, me too. I would say if I, if I had to uh, come up with a criticism of it, I think that it's a, a bit of a recurring thing in movies that feature gay couples that they're not fully gay. Um, yeah, they both have heterosexual relationships. They both the have heterosexual relationships uh, that seem to be sincere, like they're not put on. Uh, and I feel like I've seen that a few times. And also, like, there's no real gay like sex in it. Um, I guess it's like not a very explicit movie. There's not that much straight sex in it, anyway. It but seems like it's a bit it's more the as explicit. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's still more explicit straight sex than gay sex. Uh, there's no, there's no full frontal male nudity in it. There's no, there's not. It's not very, it's not very nude. But they show a bit of straight sex, and it's more. You see more going on. It's less demure than like the gay sex is. I would say. But I just feel like I think that it's it it comes off as um, more that the gay relationship kind of enables uh, the kind of interesting drama that he wanted to make more than it's a movie about being gay. Yeah. So I don't know if this is like some kind of it's not really a movie about being gay. I would say it's just about love, but man. I don't know. It's yeah. About love and find out who you are. It's just about love, exactly. But yeah, I rec- recommend it heartily. I'm sure Timothy Chalamet is going to go on to do great things because he was very good. He's astonishing. Man's a marvel. A little break now in the show Cause Danny has to blow his nose And Sam is trying on different clothes And Katie's cooking sausage rolls I think they're almost done And now they're definitely done, 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 done. So The Death of Stalin, this is the much anticipated follow-up by Armando Nucci after In the Loop, a mere eight years after that movie came out. He's uh, written another one. Uh, it's another movie that is in the mold of uh, kind of shouty men sort of scheming in rooms. But this time, the action is set directly in the aftermath of the death of Stalin in the, in the Soviet Union and includes much jostling for power amongst the uh, remaining leaders, uh, including Malenkov, played by Jeffrey Tambor, Khrushchev, played by Steve Buscemi, Molotov, played by Michael Palin, and Beria, who's the head of the Secret Service, played by Simon Russell Beale, who is very good in it. Here is a clip of Paddy Considine, who's a kind of musical director who appears uh, prominently in an early sequence of the film and has been ordered by Stalin to uh, supply him with a recording of a performance on the radio, which they were not recording and therefore they have to play the entire piece again simply to do so in order to not be murdered by Stalin. And he is speaking to the people who have come to collect the recording, along with Olga Kurilenko, who plays the pianist who played in the piece. I have the recording. I just had to get a, a new sleeve. Um, a white one. The delay has been logged. I wish to convey a special message from my heart. I wish to convey this recording to Comrade Stalin. I want Comrade Stalin to know the full intensity of my feelings for him. No, this is unauthorised narcissism. No. <laughs> the item is now in my possession. After a significant delay, another time. So this is a really interesting film. It's kind of like a difficult one to discuss in a way. I feel like maybe I'm not fully equipped to because I don't know enough of the history behind this. But I was curious to watch it because it touches on 
something that I'm super interested in, which is basically the uh, how to do political satire in the modern era. But even before the movie came out, it was very hard to see it as something other than this kind of historical displacement of a mode of satire that had no longer become applicable to the current climate. Yeah. And that because you can't make, you, you can't do the thick of it anymore. You can't make a sequel to In the Loop set now with exactly the same kind of mode because like things have changed too much in the last couple of years. Reality's yeah. outstripped satire. Yeah, reality has has changed dramatically in a way that means you know it risks leaving all of these like uh, legendary political satirists from the '90s who you know did such a good job of skewering the Blair and Cameron years uh, behind, basically, and that they sort of seem like they no longer knew what was going on and they haven't really been. Uh, haven't had their fingers on the pulse of politics in the last few years and therefore unable to do that in the modern day he sort of escaped to the past and done done it with stalin instead and i think that my like that model has certainly not been disproven by the results of the actual film which do feel uh somewhat strange and it's been very very well like critically well received yeah and yeah we both came out of it like a little unsure of it it's a super strange movie it's kind of nonplussed by it yeah well the history it's dealing with is so unbelievably grim that it does cast a long shadow over what's going on particularly the character of barrier who's brilliantly played by sam russell beale he's absolutely brilliant in the film but it's established explicitly that he's like a rapist pedophile murderer and you know it kind of not just says that but shows that or you know without being graphic yeah yeah and like once you've seen that, it's like it's hard to find him that funny, you know. Like uh, yeah, of with, course. And the yeah. later farcical scenes. Yeah, I would just say that as a comedy, the comedy mainly falls quite flat. Yeah. And it basically repeats the same joke, which is that the world of the Soviet Union was so ridiculously bureaucratic, as this Orwellian, you know, future which was real. Um, and there's a lot of like who's on first sort of style humor. They're constantly like you know the bureaucracy is so absurd. Everyone has to vote unanimously. And it's just the same joke that reaches a point of diminishing returns quite quickly. Yeah, I think that some of the political problems with the film wouldn't be so prominent if the if it was funnier. Like if I'd been chortling with laughter the entire way through the movie, it wouldn't have you know the other stuff. Obviously, would have been less of a problem. But I well, there aren't that many laughs in it. And you, yeah, so no, go, go ahead. No, no. Uh, well, and something you you kind of, I thought you nailed it after we saw the film. You're like, what is it satirizing exactly? It's like the people in the Soviet Union were like murderous and insane it's like okay you've skewered these guys it's like there's not particularly complex point it's illuminating you know it's yeah i think it's it's stuck in an odd place because it it can't presume any real historical knowledge and that basically what people know about it is that you know stalin was bad and that there was this police state and that many purges and like 20 million people died yeah like insane uh numbers of people were rounded up and killed for very arbitrary reasons and everyone was afraid of everyone else and all that kind of stuff and so you're familiar with that going in and that is the material that it works with like that's the base level of knowledge that it assumes going into the movie but that's also the message of the movie so you don't i feel like you don't really learn anything you just learn a few kind of bits of historical trivia maybe and you learn a few characters but at the same time it's not particularly concerned with historical accuracy there was a garden article about this and you know read a couple of other articles pointing out things like michael palin's character was not in the government at the time that this happened um jason isaacs who plays this general zhukov character who's very critical to the film's plot but was also not in that position at the time like the the, the actual historical time that he would have been demoted or something because stalin was jealous of him 
um, and it's there's all sorts of other shortcuts it takes, which is obviously fine because you can obviously take a bit of historical license for like reasons, you know, for like dramatic yeah, yeah. reasons. But it's like, what is the reason? I mean, things like the thick of it and in the loop are so specific about the targets, and everyone knows that world, and you completely get what it's skewing. And the characters are stand-ins for other characters. And you know when you watch In the Loop, you're like, oh, that's the Donald Rumsfeld guy and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas in this movie, they are real historical people that you don't... Like, and most people probably don't have that many preconceptions of, like, their personalities or whatever. So the film has to establish all of that and, and sort of create some kind of satire with those materials. And it's very... Yeah, it just it just does feel oddly flat. And I think that part of the reason why it's not as funny as some of his previous stuff is that it isn't intending to be and that it is intending because of the extra weight of the subject matter. You know, I mean, the, the Iraq war was a great tragedy, obviously, but like it's not on the same scale as like these people who were constantly signing like, you know, execution orders or like were themselves rapists or whatever in the case of Beria. And so because there's a bit of extra moral weight to the events, I think the movie adopts a more serious tone but all of the kind of more dramatically serious bits just come off as like docudrama excerpts. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. There's not there's not that much because one, what the actual characters are doing is exactly the same kind of dashing about corridors, scheming and yelling at each other as in like in the loop, you know, and, and they're all doing it in the same in a very kind of modern uh, whip crack dialogue type the thing that he's he's known for so there's there's not too much like dramatic power behind like the personalities in the movie but there are still shots of like people being rounded up like gulags like all this sort of grim historical stuff and it just comes off as like window dressing and you know, rather than being like this melding of comedy and like horror instead it's just this weird displacement of like comedy from the present and just a little bit of window dressing and nastiness from the past all thrown in the same thing and it's just like it's not it's not gelling yeah yeah absolutely yeah the maybe the most apt comparison is to something like four lines where chris morris decided to make a satire about um homegrown british uh, islamic terrorism which you, you could not find basically a touchier political topic than that yeah and is not only the outcome of a lot of like you know research but it's also very clear-headed about what exactly what it's saying like it has specific political messages that it's trying to put across in that movie and they are all told through the jokes and in the death of stalin it's more like he just read a couple of like historical textbooks and and the jokes are simply telling you that it was like a stupid bureaucracy where people were you know running about and it was all a bit silly and then some people got killed and stuff yeah, yeah. but it's just like bullet points from a history lesson rather than being it's not a serious work of like you know, with like political messaging. Absolutely. And I also think with Four Lions and In the Loop, uh, there's a connection there because I guess Jesse Armstrong wrote in both of them. But they're like, the joke is that like the people involved are like idiots. They're like, it's like an Ealing comedy, like inept men who are just sort of beholden to a system. Whereas right, in yeah. The Devil's Stolen, they're the people who implement the system and they're quite formidable characters. Yeah, that's, you know? that's very true. Yeah. Uh, so the humor of those previous other, as Leslie was saying, like the mode is outmoded. Like yeah, yeah. The, the humor that was the key to those satires doesn't work in the Soviet Union. It's too formidable a force. It's too tyrannical. 
Yeah, I was I was reading a piece earlier today that was making the case that the movie, the, the satire of the movie kind of misfires because it doesn't concentrate enough on the banality of evil in the way that something like In the Loop is and uh, Four Lines are also kind of about the banality of evil. And by elevating these figures to, like, as you were saying, the kind of architect of the horror and making Barrier such a, like, such a monster, it means that that, like, yeah, the bureaucratic wrangling kind of doesn't doesn't really work. Yeah, just a yeah. weird, weird movie. Weird, and 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 like not. I think that it's, you know, uh, it might sort of sound like we're overthinking it or whatever, but it's it invites sort of meditation on it because it's kind of serious. Yeah, like it's not just like a stupid. It's not like an episode of Forty Towers, but like set in the Soviet Union, you know. And that would probably also that might be a bit crass, but you know, it might be a at least like a straightforward movie that you could just laugh at all the stupid gags. But it's not quite like that, so I don't think you can really go into it and just relax and laugh. Um, and it has this deeply serious credit sequence of like photographs of people and their like faces being erased and stuff like that. So you can't, you're obviously coming out of it thinking like being chilled. It's supposed to be a bit chilling. Yeah. I mean, I would kind of like to know how Amanuchi wanted the film to be marketed because it's marketed as like a complete full on farcical com- comedy. Yeah. 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 So uh, maybe, listener, if you want to go see the movie, you're maybe more equipped to get something out of it because we were just a bit poleaxed by like, what? This is not quite that funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah, the yeah. laughs are drying up, and I mean, it's got. I think like there's a lot of affection for Yanucci's like mode of filmmaking and stuff, and he's a. Um, it, it feels like he has his thing that he does now since the thick of it, basically, and some of the same pleasures of those shows are to be found in the movie, and uh, and so I can understand why people enjoyed it so much. It's like some of the lines are good. It's got a great cast, like a real all-star cast, and they're all do, putting in very good performances. Everyone's quite funny. I think Steve Buscemi and Summer Russell are particularly good in it. But yeah, it's just not the laugh riot that, that you might hope for. So I don't know. It's just... Watch it and tell us what you watch thought. Watch it and tell us because... what you thought. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'd be, I'm curious to know what other people made of the movie and see how much they enjoyed it. Because I, yeah, it's quite, quite a baffling experience. Baffling, mate. Baffling. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo She's the queen but she wants to be in radio So she starts a podcast with her friends And the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end Thor Ragnarok, the 17th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe The third Thor film, this time directed by Taika Waititi Who is a very interesting choice, the director of What We Do in the Shadows And Hunt for the Wilder People and general Kiwi Comedian and uh, collaborators with Fly of the Concords got a very particular deadpan sense of humor, which he has brought in full force to this movie. So the plots uh, that it matters is like uh, Hela, the god of death, played by Kate Blanchett, invades Asgard. Meanwhile, uh, Thor and Loki, for reasons, end up on this junk planet called Saka, play, uh, which is run by uh, the Grand Grandmaster, the Grandmaster, played by Jeff Goldblum, full Jeff Goldblum form. And uh, he basically has to assemble a troop of cool characters, including the Hulk and uh, the Valkyrie, played by Tessa Thompson from Creed, to go back to Asgard and save the day. Here is a clip of him uh, trying out a new weapon before he has to fight uh, someone in a gladiator arena, and he befriends a giant rock monster, played by Tucker Waititi himself. Well, I really wish I had my hammer. Hammer? Quite unique. It was made from this... A special metal from the heart of a dying star. And when I spun it really, really fast, it gave me the ability to fly. You rode a hammer? No, I, I didn't ride the hammer. 
the hammer rode you on your back. No, no, no. I, I used to spin it really fast, and it, it would it would pull me off the. Oh my God! The hammer pulled you off. The ground. It would pull me off the ground up into the air, and I would fly. Every time I threw it, it would always come back to me. Sounds like you had a pretty special and intimate relationship with this hammer, and that losing it was almost comparable to losing a loved one. It's a nice way of putting it. Um, yeah, I thought it was a blast. I, <laughs> I really liked it. I think I'm, I'm slightly more down on the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a thing, yeah. generally. And they've always been described as like these fun, colourful, reverent films. And I find them, uh, for the most part, sometimes a bit kind of stodgy and dull and a little inco- incoherent. However, this film, I think, is the one that matches the description that they always apply to these films. Yeah, it yeah. is super funny and irreverent and colourful. And I don't think it could be more colourful without like fucking melt, <laughs> melting your eyeballs. And, uh, you know, the decision to get a professional comedian to direct one of these films is obviously paid off dividends. Because yeah, it is not just some like fucking hack who's like, you know, just bringing his like coffee with his friends humour to. Uh, yeah, to exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, it's I, it is people have described it as like as some kind of like refreshing of the Marvel formula or like some break with it or whatever that they've given all this it's just more of the same but just better I think I, just... it is definitely like the purest incarnation of the Marvel thing I think what it smacks of is a studio which has decided exactly how much freedom they're willing to give directors yeah and they obviously had all these problems with Edgar Wright who's got this like very distinctive filmmaking voice and ended up kicking him off Ant-Man and replacing him with a hack um no offense Peyton Reed it's just I assume that's that's what you are um whereas Taika Waititi is yeah I mean he's also very distinctive and he's got like a very particular sense of humor and stuff like that and what they have done seemingly is to draw clear dividing lines and they've just said within this space you do what you want yeah and then the rest of it is what we we will control basically and there's definitely been some success to that but I think that it is this kind of uh, example of Marvel where you can see the dividing line between studio and filmmaker basically more clearly than with almost any of their other movies. And I, I think that there are definitely benefits to that approach. And I don't know. I mean, I think it makes sense to me that this is a movie that would appeal more to people who are, feel like not at all invested in any way in like the franchise itself because you can so easily compartmentalize all of the bullshit. Yeah. And, and, and like the... <laughs> It doesn't, there's very little, like, basically the movie has decided about there's certain things that you do not care about. And they're all the things that people who don't really care about these movies don't care about. And so, like, when things don't make sense and, like, when there's weird plot contrivances and the fact that, like, it doesn't really mean anything and, like, there's a few bits of ropey CGI and some obvious bits where they've, like, shoehorned in some bullshit for, like, marketing reasons (laughs) and all that kind of stuff. The movie itself is so clearly does not care about that and is like only interested in like crazy uh, colorful worlds and like good quips and general fun banter between the cast. You know, that's what it wants to do. And it's so straightforward about like allowing you to discard all that other stuff that it makes it an easier watch than some of the other movies. Yeah. Like, you know, a movie like Ant-Man, which is generally, you know, not a bad film in any way, but like. If it's trying to like tear jerk you with some of his, you know, I love my daughter. I love stuff. my daughter shit. It's like you're just like fuck off. Like this has obviously <laughs> been put in afterwards, and like, no one gives a shit. You know, like the bit where he goes to see the Avengers facility, and it just seems like completely lame and ridiculous. And it feels like they have basically given up trying to make you care about that. <laughs> and there's just things that they have to do because it's what a Marvel does. 
And it's a bit like that, even like with the action sequences and stuff, which are all very kind of rote and forgettable. Uh, but it's like, th- that's the movie, you know, that's how that's how these movies work. You've got to put them in. But like, don't worry about it. Like in a second, we'll get back to the sort of Taker Waititi stuff, which is like, you know, the fun banter and like the crazy worlds. Yeah. Know. And yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I think that like the great achievement of Marvel, for me at least, is that they continue to make films that I find likable, despite the fact that they're like ultra corporate and soulless in this like deeply fundamental way uh, and they always do just enough that i don't mind them and i'm just like sitting there like i'm enjoying this like i'm sorry but i'm enjoying it like <laughs> i'm what, sorry what do you what do you want me to do you know like i know that it's all bullshit or whatever but i'm having a good time i like all these actors every single color of the rainbow is on the screen <laughs> at all times and yeah i mean i thought it was i thought it was fun there's a certain amount of fun as well to be had from um it, like, it's obvious how much the cast are cutting loose. Yeah, I think that's like one of the biggest achievements of the film is that Four is not that interesting a character. And they've just, you know, and the way to make him interesting is to sort of highlight the fact that like, he's a bit dumb. Yeah. And his like and his pomposity is constantly being punctured, like constantly. Yeah. yeah like yeah. literally like, all the time. Pretty much in, in every instance. In every single scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a way they should be getting quite tired, but I was just like still laughing throughout. Well, like, like Chris Hemsworth, I like the movie has identified correctly that he's a really good comic actor. Yeah, and he—he's actually—I sort of recognized how good he was in like. There's one bit when uh, Kate Blanchett, who is m- for the most part a very kind of, uh, she's got a lot dame. of personality. <laughs> yeah, she's like got a ton of personality, and she's really, really good as the villain. Uh, but in general, her lines are quite straightforward, evil lines, and she does all that stuff really, really well. But there's like a couple of moments where she has to do a bit more of the mugging that almost everyone else is required to do, and it was like not quite as good. You know, it wasn't quite as convincing. And, like, he is excellent at it. Like, Chris Hemsworth, there's one bit in it where uh, Tessa Thompson's character comes, like, into a room and he's just, like, um, trying to nonchalantly lean on some case next to him, but it doesn't have anywhere for his elbow and he can't quite, like, you know, and he just kind of adjusts. And it's just it's just really good, you know, it's, like, properly good bit of physical comedy that he does. And I was, I was delighted by it. Yeah, I would just say, like, all the characters, like, pop in a very pleasing way. So even when... There's like a sort of long sequence on this uh, Saka, this junkyard planet, which is they're on that planet for a bit too long. Yeah. But uh, just watching them hang out is just like entertaining enough that even though the plot is like just crawling along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of fine. I yeah. mean, it's very similar to the plot is like it's kind of like Phantom Menace or any of those stories where like so the home country has been invaded, but someone else is going to quest and come and back. Just it's come like, back. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there's basically nothing remotely will surprise you in terms of how the plot plays out. But lots of um, good, you know, dick jokes and stuff. Yeah, I want to highlight Tessa Thompson, who I think I enjoyed. She's basically one of those permanently smug characters who's like, I'm fucking awesome. Like every second she's on screen. But I could not have bought into it anymore. (laughs) Like, I just thought she was brilliant. I, I mean... She sold the I'm brilliant, kind of, uh, I'm awesome, you have to love me manner more than basically anyone else I've seen. And I loved her English accent. It's like just convincing enough while also still clearly sounding like an American. (laughs) Um, And I was thoroughly enchanted. Um, Jeff Goldblum is, did he even have a script? I don't know. They just, they just like, can you just Goldblum this up? It's a bit like they just gave him a bunch of like, they gave him a mood board with a few words (laughs) on it. And they were like, just, you know, do your thing. Like, we're all big fans of Goldblum. You cannot go to Goldblum in this role, you know, and just go for it. And yeah, 
So it's fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a fun it's, movie. It's, it's a lot. Easily the best Thor film. Fun night out of the movies. Yeah, it's definitely the best Thor film. It's a bit like, this is clearly what Thor The Dark World should have been like. They could have kept all of the bullshit in that like idiotic film uh, with a stupid, you know, meaningless story and just bolted on a ton more enjoyable stuff onto it. And that's what they've done in this one. So fair play to them. Well done, Taika Waititi. Well done, Taika Waititi. It feels like the success of the film was purely down to you. I don't want to, like, you know, sideline all the writers and stuff, but it's just so infused with his sensibility that... <laughs> yeah, well, it kind of is, right? I mean, I think the, the, the thing is that the success of the film is down to him, but it's also a... The, the studio formula has never been more obvious. Yeah. So the success of it is also down to that. Like, they knew exactly what Corporations kind of... and individuals working yeah, together. exactly, but, like... They, they, this is obviously the film that Kevin Feige or whoever envisaged. They wanted a fun thing. They hired a fun director. They, they carved out the little bits that the director wasn't allowed to deal with. They wanted somebody who wasn't too fussy about the final edit. And they were just like, and then put your jokes in, you know, and he went and did that. And the result was a good movie. So, you know. Yay. Yay. Well done. Well done. Yay. Round of, round of applause for them. When Zach Braff heard something that changed his life, what he listened to? When John Cusack made a mixtape for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? When Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So that's it. That's the end of the show. That's it, isn't That it? was good, wasn't it? I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was good. I enjoyed talking. Oh, yeah. Thanks, man. Me too. I like listening to you as well. You had some good points. You had some great points. Oh, stop say, it. You were really on form. You oh, came out with some... What are you like? You're a genius. I, I and I, I and, am a and genius. I don't, I don't use that word lightly. i got to say... I'm a genius, you're a genius, and my whole family is full of geniuses, but I don't toss that word around randomly. Um, anyway, let's end this genius podcast and let allow everyone to return to their lives. Uh, maybe have a little think about what you're up to this week. Treat yourself every day. and uh, Buy yourself a gift. Buy yourself a gift. And don't like, plan it, just do it. Twin Peaks fashion. And yeah, and so we'll see you next time. What is What are we reviewing next week? Anything? Uh... Join us next week. Well, I'll be reviewing The Killing of a Sacred Deer, the Yorgos Lanthimos movie, uh, Thelma, this interesting supernatural European movie, and uh, maybe something else. I don't know. I don't want to be left out, so I'll probably find something to watch. Signs of the Lambs when you re-release, we can review that. Sure, yeah, why not? Sure, why not? Well, we can do what we want. It's a classic film that's begging for the film chat take, I would say. I like it a lot. I like I like it too. I saw it for the first time quite recently, oh, so but it's quite fresh in the memory. perfectly poised to review it sir yes i certainly am all right see you next week listeners stay goofy that's my phrase for the week um, where do you come up with these where phrases? do i come up with this that you're a genius grow giant front teeth and you know i don't know be a dog that's what goofy is isn't it <laughs> fuck it's goofy to have big teeth. yeah be a dog <laughs> goodbye <laughs> You need to get more sleep, man. <laughs> what is the transition like from going from a film like what we do in The Shadows, which is an intimate movie that you worked on for a long time, to this, you know, mega tentpole with a character that everyone already knows? 
Um, yeah, a bit of food um, for a start um, on set, and um, you know, I just you know, um, just like um, you know, Chris was bored of, of what he was up to. I was also bored of what he was up to, and um, <laughs> and when he reached out, um, he re I just saw a friend in need, and um, you know, and that's just who I am. That's my nature. I, you know, if you need help, if you need me to pull you from dark depths, I'm there for you. And if that means me having to take on a tentpole movie like this, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll take it for the team. So, uh, it's really that. I was just trying to help, help my mate out. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.